Welcome to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. In today's episode, we share something we are optimistic about when it comes to the future of ministry in the church. Collaboration. As we bring season one to a close, we reflect back on the stories we have shared on this podcast, both of guerrilla pastors doing subversive ministry focused on neighborhood presence, as well as traditional Sunday morning pastors who continue to remain faithful to the call they feel God has placed on their lives, all while acknowledging that a shift is taking place. Now the shift that they point to is nothing that changes theology. There are no Orthodox Christian beliefs that are under fire based on the observations made by these Sunday morning pastors and lived out by these guerrilla pastors. No, instead, what we are observing is the shift that is happening before our eyes that is telling us what is or isn't effective in ministry today. And the biggest change that we are seeing has everything to do with what happens when we gather on a Sunday morning. So today, we take a closer look. Specifically, we take a look at the sermon. And we will hear what happens when a traditional pastor shares a pulpit with a guerrilla pastor preaching a sermon slightly more subversive. What I noticed was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful? Like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing, and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. Now, before we hear what happened, I need to introduce you to today's pastors. The first is Pastor Amanda. And while she may not call herself a guerrilla pastor, last week we showed exactly why we have given her that title. Be sure to give that episode a listen. It's a good one. Our second pastor is a traditional pastor, and he's new to the podcast. So I'll let him introduce himself. So I'm Justin Barksdale. I've been pastoring at the Snoqualmie Church of the Nazarene, Life Community Church, for three years, two of those years as the lead pastor. Um, and 
prior to that, I pastored at uh, another congregation here on the, the same district for the Church of the Nazarene for seven years and really enjoyed that. Um, and I am decidedly not a guerrilla pastor. I, I am a Sunday morning guy. I like the, the concepts and ideas that, that you and your co-hosts have talked about and that you've been unpacking on, on previous episodes. Um, but I know my own skill sets and limits, and I know that I can't do all of those things, but I deeply appreciate uh, that work being done. Um, and so I, I really want to continue to find ways to partner with uh, more traditional settings of, of church ministry with the innovative ways and subversive ways uh, that ministry can be done. Now, Justin has spent his entire life in the Pacific Northwest, so I wanted to know if he thought this location and context offered unique challenges to ministry. Yes. So, uh, a little bit more of my background. So, I, I grew up here in uh, this area and have lived, you know, within a uh, 20-mile range most of my life. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid in the the fruits of the church growth movement. And so I, I grew up in a healthy church, seeing church done one particular way, and there was a lot of um, what we measured as health in that, a lot of numerical growth, a lot of programs, a lot going on. We were busy uh, most of the days of the week doing stuff. Um, but over the 20 years that I've been involved in ministry in this area, I have seen that model become less and less effective if you're measuring by the same metrics. So um, people generally are not wanting to participate in programs most of the days of the week, and even just measuring attendance and budgets, um, they're, they're not where they were like percentage-wise over those 20 years. So I think that presents a unique challenge um, here in the Pacific Northwest, particularly this part of the Pacific Northwest. I also did uh, three years as a youth pastor in Idaho. And even though that's technically part of the the Pacific Northwest, it's just a different environment, Um, maybe five years, 10 years behind culturally where we are closer to Seattle in our location. And so I see the need to pivot a, a little bit faster here in this part of the, the nation, even as opposed to, you know, one state over in, in Idaho just because of the, the dynamics. And you see some of that even on our own district where we have churches that are closer to metro areas and some that are more rural. Um, the, the culture is just a little bit different. And where uh, that culture has shifted from what worked in the environment we're all marinating in in the, the 90s and early 2000s. Um, church necessarily has to, to adapt and, and change in some ways. The message doesn't have to change, but the medium, I think, definitely needs to be able to shift to, to be able to have longevity here in our part of the, the globe. And this, in a nutshell, is what today's episode is all about. The shift, or at least a very simple example of what a shift might look like. 
Today, we share with you what might happen when a traditional pastor collaborates with a guerrilla pastor, namely Pastor Justin and Pastor Amanda. Essentially, what happened was this. Pastor Justin shared his pulpit with Pastor Amanda, and she preached a sermon that is perceivably controversial that he felt less than comfortable preaching. So I sat down with each of them to talk about what it was like to do this collaboration. Was it solely smooth sailing, or were there nerves and anxiety in the mix? Pastor Justin wasn't simply sharing his pulpit. He was sharing his pulpit with someone who was going to preach on subject matter that was controversial, to say the least. And despite all of the preparation, the research, and the expertise that Pastor Amanda brought, I wanted to know what she was feeling as she walked onto that stage to preach this sermon for the very first time. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, researching it did feel safe in academia with my professors. You know, I already knew where they were at because they had been working with this. We've been talking about different drafts of this for, th- for several years. Um, but yeah, bringing it to a congregation who was hearing it for the first time was a really scary thought. So I was afraid um, that people would um, be angry (laughs) or um, I know not angry. That's not the right word. Um, Be offended, be offended or want to defend um, what they've always been told about certain people in the Bible. Um, So I think that was my biggest fear. As I listened to Pastor Amanda share some of her nerves and apprehensions, I couldn't help but ask her what went into the preparation for the sermon. Okay, what does it look like when I'm writing a sermon? So much prayer. So much prayer because I'm wrestling um, with the Lord on it, saying, um, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea. And the Lord reminds me it wasn't my idea. I mean, that, that's, that's just where, where it's really coming from. So um, I feel that the Lord is already giving me permission to to share the story of scripture. That's okay, we can talk about scripture. The question is, can we do it in an age-appropriate, pulpit-friendly way? Yes, I think that we have the responsibility to, to honor scripture and the truth of what is there in a way that is um, going to be received well. So it can be convicting, it doesn't have to be offensive. Um, and that's where the tension is. So yeah, the first time I wrote it, um, just saying what I felt needed to be said. And then I read it out loud and I make sure that it's something that I think the congregation can, can, um, can handle with the understanding that there are people here that may be triggered if I'm not careful with the, with the content. So I think that's part of my responsibility is to do it in a way that, that honors the people in the room but gives them real information as well. So um, on purpose... The six-week Bible study has quite a few stories, but on purpose I left out three of the main sexual assault stories in the Bible. And, and the reason why I did that is I thought they'd be the ones that people from a congregation could handle. Um, and those are Rahab, the prostitute, right? We talked about that earlier. Rahab, um, Esther, and Joseph. And I think that all three of those stories are ones that, even if it's a little different than what they've heard, they are going to be able to handle it. Um, and so those are the three sermons that I work up and then let people know about the Bible study. 
even having said that, it's still scary talking about sexual assault or exploitation or, you know, prostitution or anything from a pulpit on a Sunday morning, especially when it's with a congregation I've never met before. Now I ask Pastor Justin a similar question, but his was more focused on any nerves that were associated with sharing his pulpit. And what's more, he was sharing it with someone he knew was going to preach a sermon on human trafficking and sexual abuse. I, I didn't have a, a lot of apprehension uh, partnering with Amanda, and there's a number of reasons for that that I'll, I'll get to. But I, I can see where uh, certain congregations and certain pastors may have some apprehension, one, partnering with somebody that they don't necessarily know, but then two, um, having them talk about a sensitive subject, and then you have to stay as the pastor boots on the ground and do the follow-up work of, of walking people through how do you deal with this kind of disequilibrium of coming to view certain passages or certain topics in a new light. Um, so some of the reasons that I, I personally didn't have apprehension is uh, when I started as the lead pastor in this role, I, I again knew some of my own limitations. And so I was very purposeful in um, actually hiring you to come on staff with us. And as part of what you've talked about with Mike Ford, just bigger collaboration we have with the Kirkland congregation and being able to share roles in that pastorally and recognizing that I don't have to wear all the hats or have all the skills. And that's been very freeing. So in that that role, you and I have shared the pulpit. Uh, we've shared uh, preaching duties with another associate that we have on staff and uh, some of the other staff members at the Kirkland congregation. And so I've been used to to that role of sharing the, the pulpit. And um, so that part wasn't uh, hard for me or for the congregation. Um, the other piece with uh, Amanda, I, I knew her personally because we've uh, served together on district for a number of years, and so we've we've gotten to know each other and, and serve on committee together, and so I didn't have any apprehension with her personally, um, but the subject matter that she covered, and she did an excellent job in the the previous episode uh, talking about that. Uh, I could see where that would be apprehension, where there would be apprehension for certain um, congregations to go into that, uh, but. I had a high degree of comfort in sharing the pulpit, number one, which I would encourage pastors to do. And then I had uh, a degree of relational trust with Amanda, who, again, she's not going to give herself the title of guerrilla pastor, but she's doing ministry in a new kind of way, someone who's doing that that pivot. And so I think developing relationships with people who are taking creative approaches to ministry is important. And then finding ways to uh, collaborate and share the, the duties, the pastoral duties in your traditional church is an important piece to, to grow the comfort level with being able to make these pivots and partnerships. At the beginning of his answer, Pastor Justin teased at how many churches may understandably be apprehensive to share a pulpit or a Sunday morning with someone who was going to preach what Pastor Amanda was preaching. So I asked him to share more about why that might be the case. Well, that's a good question. Why why pastors might 
have some apprehension. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit to my very first lead pastorate uh, position was in another uh, similar denomination, similar type structure where uh, the, the local church calls the senior pastor. So they have the final say in your employment and continued employment. And I had a limited amount of resources for the first 12 months that I was there. So I had pressure to turn around a small congregation. So I pushed hard and fast. And part of that was pushing on some social issues and how do we um, perhaps look at scripture in a new light or put on a new lens than what um, these dear saints had, had previously been comfortable doing. And so when I pushed hard and fast on that particularly the how do we interpret scripture or look at these familiar passages in a new light i got a lot of pushback and i i was a young pastor i didn't have the the social relational credit built up in that congregation um i pushed too hard and fast on some taboo subjects and i didn't know how to navigate the the relational piece of that and be pastoral about those i i kind of presented these issues in a way of here's the line in the sand and now I'm telling you the right way to to look at this and it it didn't work out I ended up leaving that church I was in a worse place the congregation was in a worse place it wasn't good and so with a a topic around um, you know how do we view characters in the Bible and Perhaps now we're seeing their actions that are familiar to us, but now we're we're holding them in tension, as Amanda t- spoke about really poignantly. Uh, uh, this is still the same person, but we recognize some of the bad things that they did. Um, there's there's the need to be able to do the follow up pastoral care, not just the presentation of that information and creating a little bit of disequilibrium, but then how do you as as a pastor walk with people through? coming to a new sense of balance with that information. And that's a, that's a delicate thing that I've, I've had to, to learn in my you know, 12 years since that first flame out uh, of pastoring. Um, and so that, that's where there could be some apprehension. You can lose social capital with people. You can lose um, the ability to kind of w- walk people from, from one point in their spiritual journey to the next point if they if they lose trust in you if you you push too hard and fast or if they if they don't trust where you're you're trying to lead them then that you you lose your ability to pastor well now that i had a better understanding of what was at stake my next question for each was what actually happened did this stir up some huge controversy in the church or was it well received? Here's what Pastor Amanda had to say. One thing, before I ever preach a sermon, I've already dedicated it to the Lord. So I remind myself, first of all, audience of one, and I'm doing this out of obedience. So that helps already. Um, but I felt like I just read the thing. I read the manuscript because uh, that's what I had already given to the Lord, and I was nervous, and I didn't want to train wreck in front of people. What I found was that people were very, um, they, they received it so well. Um, I had people start to share that they had a family member who had been trafficked. Um, you know, that's something that somebody shared with me. Um, and uh, we had quite a few say, I want to take that class. And so well, let them know what time that was going to be offered, and they were there. So I felt like it was, uh, 
a very welcoming atmosphere and, and people were ready to talk about the hard things. As she already stated, she preached and then offered a six-week course on the research and study she has done for anyone who was interested. With these two events in mind, I asked Pastor Justin for his perspective on how things went. Uh, so we did a, a good job of building up and letting people know this is what's going to happen because I wanted, I didn't want anybody to be caught off guard because it is kind of, can be a sensitive subject, especially for people who are, you know, survivors themselves. And so I wanted to give plenty of heads up. Um, we knew that uh, Pastor Amanda was offering to do the six-week Bible study and present her curriculum. And so we encouraged people to sign up for that for the, the weeks following her time with us on the Sunday morning. And so we, we did a good job, and I think that went a long way to explain to people, this is where we're going, this is why we're, we're doing it. And I had that conversation first with our board leadership and then with the, the congregation as a whole. Um, so then when she did come, people were anticipating it. They were excited for it, and they received it well. I know she um, stuck around after the service was over and had several people waiting around to talk to her and thank her personally for uh, the sermon that she shared that Sunday. And then I didn't get any feedback that was negative or or anything like that because again I think people were prepared for it they were ready to receive it and they received it in the spirit that she was offering it they weren't caught off guard now after hearing what both pastors had to say about their preparation about what they did to try to mitigate controversy and drama i was curious to know what effect this may have had on the church and those who participated in the 6 week study with pastor amanda Here's Pastor Justin with his reflection on what it was like to collaborate with a guerrilla pastor. So I think the, the biggest benefit that we got um, from partnering with Pastor Amanda was the six-week Bible study and the curriculum that she had with that, the follow-up, because that setting was set up more for dialogue, where she presented information, but then there was group discussion around it. And I had hoped that we would have a higher percentage of our congregation participate in that, um, but I think just timing and different things, we, we didn't get as, as many people participating in that as I had hoped. And, um, but the people that did participate in that had very high positive feedback that they gave. Uh, they were able to share with both Pastor Amanda and myself that they now saw these scriptures in new light. And then part of her curriculum was not just focusing on, okay, here's the scripture passage, but now what does that mean for application in your community? And so there was some pretty good discussions about that too, of how do we notice these things in our community? How do we prepare ourselves to be better hosts as we're opening up our doors uh, for people in the community? Um, and so the the amount of pastoral care that she did um, in that was in the six week study afterwards was profound and it was it was very good i I appreciate uh, Pastor Amanda's concern to not just be uh, innovative in a way that leaves behind the traditional congregation but in a way that partners 
with them and she understands traditional congregations well. And so I think that was a big uh, asset to this particular partnership was uh, her ability to uh, have pastoral care for the congregation as she, she ministered to them. While I asked him what he thought his congregation and flock benefited from in partnering with Pastor Amanda, I was curious what he himself took away from this collaboration. Was there any benefit for him personally in his ministry as pastor of this local congregation? Yeah, there's a a huge, huge benefit to that. So I've been in pastoral ministry close to 20 years. I had never preached a sermon on sex trafficking or human trafficking in two decades because I have no experience with that. I have no uh, expert knowledge in that area. Here, uh, Pastor Amanda had done the work in her dissertation and all of her studies defending her thesis, and this is good, solid work that also has the the pastoral lens placed on it. So it, it was a huge, huge asset uh, to have the expert uh, come and, and give us access to, to that information. And I, I should say this, too, that the way that she presented the information and then did the six-week study about a sensitive topic and the way she approached it and created dialogue around that, I think has set us up to have further conversations that I may not be able to be the expert on it, but now we have uh, experience in having a conversation dialogue that's facilitated around sensitive subjects where People may not be willing to engage in it right away, but creating a safe space. So what she did was was twofold. One, giving us this specific information that, again, I had zero firsthand knowledge about to speak as a pastor, but getting the benefit of, of her great work on that in a pastoral way was a huge experience. And then the second benefit was just the experience of having uh, an uncomfortable conversation, uh, which may be difficult for a lot of traditional pastors if um, you know they, they don't have exposure to outside experts or if they don't have um, the, the social credit that they feel they need to um, in order to have these conversations. By partnering with somebody that you can come in from the outside who's not going to just drop a grenade and then you know leave, but comes in and, and again, creates kind of a safe amount of disequilibrium and then helps walk with people to a new sense of balance on that subject. I think that's a a huge asset. I don't know why you wouldn't partner with somebody like that. I asked Pastor Amanda much the same thing. I wanted to know her reflections retrospectively. What did she take away from this experience? Yeah, well, it's still very early. um, And so you you bring up a great question. I have not necessarily followed up with some of the people who have taken this course um, at these churches to find out if they are plugging in to the community. Um, but what I have noticed is um, even with you, you and me, we're having deeper conversations than we have before because we have you know the curriculum to be able to discuss. Um, and I've noticed that across the board. People are more comfortable talking about trafficking prevention and awareness. Um, and, and they're being able to start seeing things um, in their community they've never noticed before. I've noticed that um, phone calls or emails come 
come to me um, from people who have taken this course who are saying, I think I see something that that may look like trafficking and, and helping them figure out what those resources in their community would be and what, what phone numbers to call and the experts to bring in. Um, but people are starting to see things that they hadn't noticed before. So a lot of survivors um, share being part of a being part of a church in their stories. And right now there are a lot of survivors who are publishing, you know, what they've what they've gone through. Um, or sharing them in interviews and, and different things. And uh, it is alarming how many talk about, you know, being sexually assaulted in a young age, getting pregnant, and then finding that their faith community, whether that's Christian or, or not, um, has no space for what's happened to them, and, and especially if it may be a family member who got them pregnant. And next thing you know, they're, they're out of their community, and a trafficker picks them up. And, and then they live out uh, some really frightening things. Um, and another, I think, scary thing uh, to, for us to know is there is a theme of um, youth that start questioning sexuality and they start talking, you know, confiding maybe in a young men's group or to their youth leader, you know, um, that maybe doesn't remain confidential and it's shared and next thing you know, they're feeling alienated and excommunicated. Um, and, uh, and then their story starts from there. So um, I think that that is something for us to consider. We might not have the stats, but they come out in qualitative ways in people's life stories, saying this is, this is something that happened to me and this is where my community shut me out, whatever that community is. And we're not talking about changing theological stances. We're simply saying, what if we could have a more charitable discussion about something we find uncomfortable? Because that, that's... That feels like such a simple, such yeah. a simple shift. I'd go so far as to say God has always cared, and let's see how he cared, and we will learn how to care the way he does. He's already got the pathway for us. And as we wrap up our discussion on this event that took place in the Pacific Northwest where a guerrilla pastor and a traditional Sunday morning congregation collaborated, I want to shift gears and leave you with a final thought a reflection that has been stirring throughout this first season of the Gorilla Pastor podcast. Pastor Amanda started where Pastor Justin currently serves, not physically in the same church, but metaphorically in the Sunday morning ministerial landscape. So I simply asked her if it was worth it. And here is her response. I think it's easier than I thought it was going to be definitely easier than I thought it was going to be um, stepping out of traditional ministry. Um, one of the things that I prayed <laughs> about quite a bit was that my local church congregation would understand and would support uh, my choice to leave traditional ministry and that I could still have my family and I go to this church. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, so that part went I felt like the Lord absolutely answered my prayer to um, to have me be able to remain at the church that I want to go to um, without people wondering why I would leave. Um, yeah, I have family members who wonder why I would leave a paid position and when am I going to get a job? That gets brought up. Um, I have a few pastors in the community who, um, you know, definitely don't take me quite as seriously as they did when I could say I work here or, you know, this is my title. Um, 
And then also just in the anti-trafficking community, it can be hard because people say, oh, what, what is your organization? You know, what, what nonprofit do you work for? I don't really work for a nonprofit. I'm kind of that middle ground helping train churches to start to strengthen their relationship with nonprofits is kind of that middle. So it's weird to be able to say, you know, I'm on this many boards. That's kind of a funny thing to say. Um, but uh, affiliated with places, but not named as being owned by any one place. It, there's just not a lot of space uh, for people to understand what that means. And that's okay. We don't have the, the imagination for it, but you're helping create that imagination by living it out. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, you know, breaking my own stereotypes in my head. There are days where I'm going, when am I going to get a job? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, those, those stereotypes are ingrained in me as well. Uh, I've never had a time where I wasn't in some kind of paid position since I've been an adult. So it is a, it is a unique thing. And every time I question it, I take it to the Lord. I know that sounds like the spiritual answer, but God and I have some raw, messy prayers <laughs> um, just to make sure that I'm still staying in, in uh, where he's calling me to be. So um, one of the things I am finding out is I am way less motivated to write than I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. And so um, the therapist in me goes, okay, what is it? Why? Why is this so hard? Well, it, was, it did not come without pain to write this curriculum. To look at every sexual assault and exploitive moment in the Bible is painful. And as a rape survivor and somebody who has recovered from PTSD, I was so afraid that it would trigger me. And so just even working with trauma um, and reading many, many survivor stories and and not experiencing vicarious trauma, um, was that took a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. And... Uh, and now I have a, uh, a complete work, right? The dissertation in the, in the six-week curriculum, for the most part, is done. And I can feel myself going, I don't want to read anymore. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to put myself through the trauma. I, and so, you know, even I can feel that bias going, I wish it hadn't happened. I, you know, I wish these things didn't happen in this world. I wish that I could believe that all the research I did over the last few years is good enough but I know the trafficking has already changed it's just continues to change and just watched a documentary the other day on on how much younger the the children are that are being exposed to pornography and and COVID changed it drastically just the 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 number of um people who are addicted to more pornography and the age that people are getting addicted and the perpetrators are so much younger than they used to be, so that the um, the crime keeps changing, and and there's part of me that goes, I don't want to know anymore, and I remind myself that that is how everybody else feels as well, and that I need to just keep on trusting the Lord, and keep on staying updated. So that's that's the cost. As we process Pastor Amanda's reflections and retrospective. As we hear her share her journey and transition from traditional to subversive ministry, I leave you with this final thought. The discussion for us is no longer if things are changing, but how. In this episode, we shared one simple shift that could take place with the sermon. But what if the sermon itself needs to change? 
What if we were honest with ourselves and we were willing to evaluate all of the things we held dear because maybe these things were simple personal preference instead of effective tools used for the building of the kingdom? Once again, we are not talking about theological beliefs, but simply what it is we do when we gather together. Things like the worship music, the space we gather in, or even the day and hour in which we gather. Instead of trying to resist something that feels inevitable, what if instead we look to the shift as the moving of the Spirit and seek to partner with it instead of posturing ourselves in opposition to it? I can only begin to imagine all of the possibilities. Today's episode is just one small example of what this could look like. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and stay tuned for our season finale, where we touch on a little bit of the shift that is happening, both in our own personal ministries, but also in the life of the church. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so others might hear this podcast as well. I've been your host, Josiah, and this is the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. Podcast.